0: I have to appreciate everything about how unbelievably fortunate that I've been. That I've had this idea that actually turned into a real company, that I've had the chance to spend time with my wife and my family and have all these things happen. I do not deserve anything else, Um, especially not to be
1: complaining about that. everyone. Welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you. Now, I know that you're coming back every week to learn, to listen, to grow, to expand your mind, to be able to make a difference in your business, in your work, to make an impact in your personal and professional lives. And you know that I'm always focused on finding you incredible guests who I can learn from by listening to them and share their insights with you in digestible, relevant ways so that you can make the change so that you can take the steps in your life to overcome those fears, to put aside those excuses and start making real progress. And today's guest is going to help us do that in an unbelievable way. Now I'm gonna introduce you to him in a second. And when you hear his resume and you hear what he's achieved, And the work that he's doing now, it is going to blow your mind. So this is definitely one you want your notebooks out for. If you haven't got your notebooks out because you're traveling or you're driving or you're walking your dog, then take a screenshot right now and come back to this podcast so that you can take notes. Because I promise you, the amount of mentorship you're going to receive is absolutely incredible. Today's guest is Mark Randolph, the co-founder and first CEO of Netflix. He's a veteran Silicon Valley entrepreneur, advisor, and investor. Mark was co-founder of Netflix, serving as their CEO, as the executive producer of their website, and as a member of their board of directors until his retirement from the company in 2003. Mark's career as an entrepreneur spans more than four decades. He's been a founder of half a dozen other successful startups, a mentor to early stage entrepreneurs, and an investor to numerous tech ventures. Most recently, Mark co-founded analytics software company, Looker Data Sciences. And his new book, which he'll be talking about today, is called That Will Never Work. I love the title, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. That Will Never Work. Mark, thank you for being here.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. And I, I love that title, by the way. I think it's brilliant. I can't think of the amount of times I've heard it. I can't even remember the amount of times I've heard it. And who is the first person you ever heard it from?
0: Well, I've been hearing it all my life for the most part because I've been one of those guys with these crazy ideas. Uh, probably the most famous one is my wife, who uh, you expect to be deeply supportive, but <laughs> you know, but it happens to all of us. You come running down with a great idea and what did everyone say?
1: And she said, that will never work.
0: That'll never work. She goes, and then?
1: that'll never work.
0: You know, <laughs> but And now, of course, it's a joke between us because I've re- learned that she's kind of a reverse indicator. That if she doesn't like an idea... Oh, right. I'm onto something.
1: Right, right. That's interesting. My wife is my mainstream test. Uh-huh. So if I'm thinking about something and wondering whether I think it's scalable or whether a lot of people will be interested into it, that's when I go and ask my wife. So, so we have the opposite effect. But actually in the conference, you said that your number one rule in life was staying married. Why was that such a priority for you? Well, you know, people
0: tend to th- get, get this whole business thing and let it take them over. You know, they think this is what's important that somehow if I make so much money, I'll be happy. Or if only this, I'll be happy. Or only that, I'll be happy. And you've got to put these things to perspective. The the goal is balance. At least my goal is balance. So long, long time ago, I said, I know a lot of guys who are on their sixth startup and their sixth wife, and I don't want that to be me. Mm. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of jumping almost to the punchline of my life which is like the thing that I'm most proud of in my life is not starting this company with a 150 million subscribers or any of the other things I've accomplished. It's that I did all that stuff and stayed married to the same woman that my kids know me. And I think like me, and I get a chance to pursue the other passions in my life at the same time.
1: I absolutely love that. I think that's such an amazing message. And I'm so glad that you're saying that that's the punchline and that's the real success. I think that's beautiful. Hearing for anyone who's an entrepreneur listening or anyone who's a business person listening, for them to hear that is such incredible advice. So thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I I, I want to dive in. This this interview is going to be really phenomenal because I think what you do so beautifully with your life, like you just did, is you have everything from business mentorship you have life mentorship, you're able to really think about, and we were just, I was just getting mentorship on Disney World. <laughs> right, you know? like, I'm going to Disney World this year and, and Mark was walking me through how to have the best experience at Disney World. So I love the breadth of your experience. One of the things I wanted to start with, and this is because I've been fascinated by the story. I've read about it a million times on the internet. I've seen so many versions, but I get to ask you about what happened with Blockbuster. And I know you've shared it before, but I, I love it because I would love to hear it from you because I've only ever read and heard about it. Well, certainly. But the, the first thing you've got to realize
0: is that people kind of have this vision that Netflix has always been the Netflix they know now. Hmm. That it's in every country in the world, that it's streaming video, that it makes its own TV and radio, that it's a euphemism for getting laid. I mean, that <laughs> that stuff all came later. There was a time when if you wanted a movie from Netflix, we mailed it to you and yeah. we were a DVD by mail business. And uh, it's kind of weird how often I meet people, especially younger people who have no idea where Netflix Started totally, uh, and actually, this again, you got to stop me. I'll go on these weird no, segways. A day before yesterday, Netflix announced that it shipped its five billionth DVD, which blows my mind. Anyway, going way back, um, our company idea sucked. I mean, we launched this thing, and the idea was to do video rental by mail. And it didn't work. And it took us two and a half years to finally come up with a business model that actually made sense. And here's the how Blockbuster gets involved, is that when all of a sudden you figure something out, things take off and it gets incredibly expensive and we didn't have the money. So I think that year we were on track to do about $5 million in sales, which is not bad. Mm-hmm. But we were also on track to spend $50 million. Wow. <laughs> and you know, you, you don't need to be an accountant to know that that is not very sustainable. No good math, yeah. So there's a, a term uh, in business called pursue strategic alternatives, mm-hmm. which is code for we got to sell this sucker. Right. And fast. Um, and the, our strategic alternative was Blockbuster. And Blockbuster was in a totally different place. So we were on track for 5 million. They were going to do 6 billion. We had about 100 employees. They had uh, 60,000 employees. Wow. They had 9,000 stores. So we were nothing. So we called these guys up and said, um, we tried to get a meeting, nothing like crickets. So going about our business. And then as it happens, we were on this corporate retreat. Um, and we were not far from here. We're outside of, the, outside of Santa Barbara at this dude ranch called the Alisal Ranch. And I mean, I'm, I'm dressed up today. Uh, I shaved for you, Jay. That, oh, that is my,
1: that's my sign of sincere respect. <laughs> I feel terrible now. <laughs> no,
0: no. You, if, you, if you only knew how infrequently that happens, you'd realize that's my genuflection. <laughs> um, but so we're pretty casual in Silicon Valley. And so when you go on retreat, You got to work at it. And seriously, all I had with me on this three-day retreat was shorts. Um, I had some t-shirts. I was in flip-flop sandals. That was it. And of course, that is when Blockbuster calls and says, we'll see you tomorrow in Dallas. Mm. We're going, fuck, how are we going to get from Alisol Ranch to Dallas by tomorrow morning? And so we did that um, thing that, prudent entrepreneurs do, which is when they're $50 million in debt and we chartered a private jet.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here's the, here's, okay, now I'm going to share the little bit of Netflix trivia with you, which no, very few people know. The jet was owned by Vanna White. Okay. I don't know if you know who Vanna White was. She's the woman who spun the letters on Wheel of Fortune.
1: Oh, wow. So, I did not know that. No. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going,
0: Wow spinning letters pays pretty well I guess so we're on Vanna White's jet we all fly to Dallas we go up into this building this huge building um, and we walk into this massive conference room um, and Blockbuster guys come in John Antioko, the head of Blockbuster Ed Stead is CFO and they're in their you know they're casual but they're like Hollywood casual with the $3,000 loafer kind of casual right. Um, And I'm in (laughs) flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. And I remember I was kind of jealous because Reed Hastings, my Mm -hmm. business partner was there and he had on a Hawaiian shirt, Mm -hmm. getting buttons. (laughs) So um, Anyway, make the pitch. We're going to, we'll combine forces. Uh, You guys will run the stores. We will run the online business. We'll find, you know, the buzzword synergies. Mm -hmm. We'll all live happily ever after. And they ask questions. And finally, um, they asked the big question, which is how much should we pay for you? What are you, what are you, what are you talking here? And Reed, we had talked about this in the plane. We go, well, we're in the whole 50 million bucks. So Reed goes $50 million and nothing, nothing. In fact, I'm looking over at John Antiocho and he's like struggling not to laugh. And <laughs> we're going, ah. Oh. And so obviously the meeting went downhill really yeah. quickly, but it's a fun story, but the real revelation took place on the jet home. Mm. And we're all kind of sitting quietly. And I know our, our, our CFO was there, Barry McCarthy. And I know he's sitting there going, all right, how am I going to make the cash last longer? And, and Reed, he's not a dwell in the past guy. He's already off in the future of what, and some other business problem. And I'm going like, oh, now what do we do? This was going to be our way out. Yeah. And finally I go, oh, okay. So I, st- you know, tink the glasses oh. and uh, go, gentlemen, one thing left. Now we have to kick their ass. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like the moment when you go, that my dad used to say, you know, Mark, sometimes the only way out is through.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And um, and this was that moment when we go, okay, if we're going to make this happen, we're not going to have to rely on this deus ex machina of, Blockbuster saving us. We're gonna have to figure this shit out on our right. own.
1: I love that. And were there other interactions with them as well for the same purpose, or that was the only one?
0: No, there, there, there <laughs> was no future discussion of collaboration. Okay. Okay. But there was kind of this friendly um, rivalry mm-hmm. uh, between the two companies. Sure. And and it's funny now, you know. Um, you occasionally read stories in the newspaper about some grizzled veteran of the Vietnam War going back to um, Ho Chi Minh City and meeting up with this. And so I still have like um, email and phone conversations with the guys that we were fighting with at at, at Blockbuster telling war stories together. I love
1: that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Now tell me, like you've obviously entitled this book, The Amazing Life of an Idea. And I think today I hear this a lot and I'm sure you hear it even more than I do, but everyone has an amazing idea. And everyone has a cool idea, but in your work, you talk a lot about how it's not just about the idea, and the idea is actually a very small part of it. Tell us about that thought process and why it's such an important message yeah it
0: it it's um everyone has an idea in a lot of ways, it's was why I wrote the book is because you know there's this my daughter graduated from college you know, four years ago, and I was sitting in the audience, and i'm I'm just going waiting waiting and then i hear it which is the follow your dreams bullshit. Yeah. Everyone hears that stupid thing. Cuz uh, but then no one ever tells you how. Mm-hmm. How do you follow your dreams? Cuz everyone has one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just a business idea. We've all got something that we want to make happen. Mm-hmm. But no one knows where to start. Mm-hmm. And what i try and tell people is your idea is nothing. It your idea is not going to be what happens your idea is your starting point and it, it's called the amazing life of an idea because i'm trying to show people that the original idea we had video rental by mail was a terrible idea mm. but that wasn't the point the point is that when reed and i had this idea of video rental by mail we didn't go home and go great let's write up a business plan and let's do a powerpoint slideshow." we said what can we really mail a DVD to someone? And so we just turned the freaking car around and went down to Santa Cruz and bought a Patsy Klein music CD and mailed it to Reed's house because we realized thinking about it was worthless. You have to start and try something and do something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the, well, I rambled again.
1: <laughs> no, the, you're allowed to do it. That, Ramble as much yeah, as you like, it. it's great. That's, that's why my head
0: works, you know. <laughs> um, but the point is that these ideas are fleeting. The idea, your idea... It's a bad one. Mm. I don't know why it's a bad one, and you don't know why it's a bad one, but I guarantee. I've never, ever seen a successful company, ever, that's successful the way their original idea was. The people that are successful are the ones who take that idea and start. Mm. And then they find out why it's a bad idea. And then if they're clever, they try something different based on what they learned. And if Mm. they're clever, they try something different. And eventually you end up with a Netflix. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Sure, sure, sure. But that process... Is yeah. the, the ability
1: to pivot consistently, the ability to Correct. shift direction. But I find that so often, I've, I think the thing that I see the most, and I think what people struggle with the most, is knowing when to pivot. Yes. And, and when they're going in the right direction, and how long is too long, or how short is too short. And I'm sure you've seen this time and time again with all the companies you've mentored and advised. Yeah,
0: it's probably the it's probably the question I get asked the most. And unfortunately, mm. it's also probably the hardest one for me. I wish they'd asked me one that I was easy. <laughs> but it's really when do I know when to give up? Yes. And I think what happens is people fall in love with their idea. Mm. Uh, they get this idea and it's it's like a baby, and it can be the ugliest thing in the world, but to them going, oh my God, it's beautiful. And they project it forward. Mm. They're holding the baby, but they go, oh gosh, it's going to be the smartest. It's going to be the first kid to walk. He's going to walk way before his age group. And they can picture it, you know, in, in high school, hitting the game winning home run or graduating from college first, but it's just a baby. Mm. And it could just as easily end up, you know, doing heroin behind the 7-Eleven. You can't Tell you can't fall in love with the idea. What you have to do is fall in love with the problem. Mm. And the reason I say that is because the problem won't get old. Yes. And you'll never give up on the problem. Mm. Eventually, you'll figure something out. And occasionally, yes, you do run out of time or out of money, or you go, I have no more ways to solve this. But it's much more evident to you than knowing when to keep when to stop hammering on your
1: idea. Yeah, I love that emphasis. I think that's great. And And I think about that so often that whenever you hear about entrepreneurs solving problems and that being the root of where everything begins. And I think so often we're like, well, what's my idea or what's my passion or where do I want to start? And it's like, but then I don't know how this links to the real world. And the the only way it links to the real world is if it's solving a real problem. And I think you're so true that you can always go deeper into solving a problem and you can't get tired of it if the problem still exists. And I think it's about finding a problem that we really believe in. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's, that's part of the challenge too, is we often find problems because they're cool or they're interesting or they're trending, but they're not necessarily a problem that we're deeply committed to.
0: So I'll play, I'll play a little game with Please, you. Please, I'd love to. And with the people, who, the people who are listening. So um, I'll tell, I'm gonna tell a quick story. Mm-hmm. Um, Because, and I'm going to tell you the story because there is a way to come up with ideas that are good ideas.
1: Ooh, I like this.
0: And it's a simple one. It's by training yourself to look for pain. Mm -hmm. to Despite being an optimist, to train yourself to see the world as an imperfect place. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean solving these global problems like don't try and cure malaria or look at something that you know really well that you bump into every single day as you're either promoting your business or working with your own with your family Mm -hmm. okay so the story is about this uh this job i had 40 years ago and i was a house painter this is during my university years Um, and different world obviously you know no technology whatsoever and back then when you would buy paint, it came in those cans. Mm-hmm. So, I remember. Yeah, my yeah, parents used to paint With the a lid on it and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fine. And now 40 years later, I go to paint and p- paint still comes in that stupid can. And it's lame <laughs> because it, first of all, it requires a screwdriver to open it, right? And then when you pour it, it all drips down the side of the pan, can, and it fills yeah. up the little limb and you got to stir it with a stick. And then you got to paint and you spill paint all over you. And it's just the most disastrous experience. Yeah. Um, and then of course, when you got to f- close the can, you hammer it, put a hammer on it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous, but what happens is if you're picturing as I'm talking this about painting and you're imagining painting and you're going, yeah, that paint can sucks. Some people go, that's stupid. What? Why don't they sell paint like in a, a milk jug? Or even better, like the kind that um, you put detergent in, the detergent comes in, or where it sits in a counter with a little spout that it all pours out from. Or why isn't there an aftermarket lid? Or why isn't there a magnetic stirrer? But people automatically begin filling in these blanks. And it's a story that happened to me, mm. that it's an amazing thing when people begin looking at the frustrations in their life, without even thinking about it, these ideas yes. pop into their head. And it's coming back to focusing on the problem. Yes, Because the problem will never get, will never get stale. Absolutely. And so much of what happened at Netflix was just bumping into one problem after another. And as soon as you solve one, well, lo and behold, there's a new one. yes, And it's why being an entrepreneur is such an amazingly exciting business because it's perpetual.
1: Yeah. And I just want to point out to everyone who's listening or watching right now, what Mark said that was really powerful because not only is Mark talking about finding the problem, which you may have heard before, you may be thinking about before, but something he specifically said, it was like trying to solve a problem that you know well. And I thought that was a really powerful point because I think sometimes we can get lost in problems that we actually are very distant from and don't deeply understand and have no familiarity with. And I think we are better at coming up with solutions for things we are very familiar with. Yeah. You started off by saying that, you know, you might have an idea, but you're not sure how it fits into real life or how even the
0: problem fits into real world. But you do, you figure those things out by actually starting to try and solve them. Yeah, And they take you places it is absolutely a follow where it goes. It's a murder mystery. It's a, it's a crossword puzzle. It's a jigsaw puzzle. It's such an interesting process of seeing where this problem takes you. Yeah. And then lo and behold, sometimes it goes into an area and you go, well, I'm solving a problem for seven people. Yeah. And you go, okay, that's not viable. Yeah. Fine. But sometimes, lo and behold, you stumble onto something that everybody wants.
1: Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's luck and that's yeah. okay too. But that's interesting. You've just sparked a thought in my head that I don't actually think of often. Or I don't hear often at least. And it's about how that the number one thing needed to be a good entrepreneur or an idea creator and someone who takes an idea into implementation and execution is wanting to continuously problem solve. Mm and and we don't actually hear about it like that often that someone who's been an entrepreneur needs to constantly be happy to move from problem solving problem solving to the next problem yeah. and just keep going down
0: that road and i think the one of the things is a lot of people i mean it's back back when i was a lad jay you know <laughs> not not that long ago there wasn't this thing there was a thing called an entrepreneur but there certainly wasn't something that you became and it was never something that you would go to school and get a degree in, you know, inconceivable. Um, so in some ways it's good because now not everyone who goes to a university thinks they have to be a banker or a lawyer or a doctor. They actually think, wow, I could actually be an entrepreneur. But the Problem is a lot of them want to be it for the wrong reason.
1: Mm.
0: And they want to do it for the glorification, Mm -hmm. which is also a shocking thing to me, that they think it's the way to get rich or it's the way to be famous or, you know, you're going to be on Shark Tank or it's, it's, that is not what it's all about. I mean, we're here in, uh, in LA and it's like the people who move here from all over the world to be an actor or an actress because they think they're going to get rich and famous. Mm. Well, I hate to break it to you, but- not going to happen, or at least the odds are extremely far against it. But if you're in some city and you're going, I love performing, I love taking on characters, you're doing it for the right reason. But then it doesn't make a difference whether you're rich or famous, you're still getting that enjoyment. And entrepreneurship is the same. Mm. And again, long way back to where we started, it's because of that thrill of solving the problem. Mm. If that's the reason you're doing it, you will never be unhappy in that job.
1: Absolutely. And how how do you see it? Like I know a lot of people who say to me, like Jay I'm just stuck with overthinking. I just procrastinate all day. How have you pushed so many people to take their first step or to overcome the fear of getting started? Because I've heard you say before that, and I love this, by the way, if you have an idea, you learn more in an hour of doing it than in a year of studying it. Absolutely. And it's like, how do you get someone to just, how have you seen, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, how have you pushed people into action? So there's
0: there's two things. There's one thing that you say, and you say, just fucking do it. Stop thinking, start doing. But that's very similar to the follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a longer explanation. Um, I mentioned before that people fall in love with their idea. But what happens when you fall in love with your idea is you naturally embellish. So you start with this idea and it's simple. And it could be done pretty easily. But you don't do that. You leave it in your head. And you add something on, and, and all of a sudden you've added—it's a you know a house, but you've added on a wing, and now you put a second story on, and then you add on the tennis courts, and you go let's put in this beautiful driveway, and let's put in the skateboard ramp, and pretty, and you have gargoyles and turrets, and you've got this castle in your head. Now then, when you go to price it out, you go shit, this is going to cost a lot of money, and this is going to be really complex. I'm not even sure I can build it. Like. It's too complicated and too big. So the trick is not to build the castle in your mind, but to take your immediate, your small idea and do it. And if your idea is I want to build a castle, the cleverness is not what's my idea. The cleverness is how can I figure out a quick, simple, and easy way to validate it. Mm. And, And I'll... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think here whether I dare try and give you an analogy Please, for that. Go for it. It's a little dorky. But we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> we give it a like shot. Give it we a like shot. Dorky, and if, you, if I see you kind of your, your kind of eyes kind of glazing <laughs> yeah. over, I'll kind of know that maybe I'm losing you. Um, so years ago, I was working with a young entrepreneur in San Francisco, and um, he was uh, at a party um, late one rainy well that's every night <laughs> late one rainy evening in san francisco and what happened to him is something that happens to everybody at that situation which is the party ran out of beer and then they all been arguing about whose turn it was to go out and buy the beer mm. find an open liquor store all that stuff and he goes idea entrepreneur because idea pain um my phone knows where I am. My phone knows my taste. My phone can have a database of all the open liquor stores that deliver, Um, credit card, hit a button, beer shows up. Great idea. This is a bunch of years ago. And back in the day to test that idea, you would have had to actually build the app, Mm -hmm. establish relationships with all kinds of liquor stores. You'd have to do a marketing campaign. He didn't want any of that crap. Didn't want to spend the money. Didn't want to have to code anything. So he parsed apart the problem. And he said, am I really wondering, does my phone know where I am? No, I know that. Am I worrying about, can I build a database of of liquor stores? I can do that. Will people trust me with their credit card? I know that. What don't I know? Mm. And what don't I know, what I don't know is, does anyone care? Yes. And more importantly, if they order once, will they order again? What's the average order size? So now here, that's the setup. Yes. Here's the clever, creative way of quickly, simply, and easily testing it. He goes, huh. And what he did is he printed up business cards that said nothing more than need beer, call me. (laughs) And then he went and stood outside these apartment buildings in San Francisco on Friday and Saturday nights. Whenever someone in the right demographic came along, he'd give them the card and say, hey, if you need beer, call me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then he'd go back and he'd wait and they'd call and he'd get in his bike and he'd go to the liquor store and he'd buy the beer. He'd go to the apartment and he'd put on a Viking costume Mm -hmm. don't ask okay and then up he goes and delivers the beer and he figured out how to test this idea i love that not by building the app not by raising money not by getting a co-founding engineer but by printing out business cards
1: oh i love that he
0: collided his idea with reality he did the equivalent of what reed and i did when we mailed that first music used music cd Mm. he quickly and easily found out is it a good idea Mm. and it wasn't yeah, because everyone was drunk. The <laughs> orders were small. They were all taking place at one o'clock in the morning. There was no repeat business. But he realized that with a business card. And more importantly, he had real people telling him what worked and what didn't work. And someone eventually said, you know, I, I have an office. I'm an office manager in the day. And we do these big beer parties. And I'm carrying cases up and down the stairs. And then he goes, huh, maybe I'll pivot to doing pivot to doing this yeah. and that didn't work either and then someone said would you stock my fridge for me and he pivoted to that and it worked right and he took this meandering path of an idea and the idea that worked bore a little resemblance to the one he had at the beginning mm. it was another example of the amazing life and idea it was the amazing example of another example of looking for pain another example of how to test something quickly simply and easily and in many cases without even actually doing it
1: absolutely that's such a great answer by the way i'm so glad you went off on that (laughs) that journey that was brilliant And, and and again i'm learning so much just by this this conversation is unbelievable so far if you've been listening or watching right now i really hope you're taking notes again all of this conversation you'll learn so much more by reading the book that will never work which we're discussing right now by mark randolph so one of the things i love that you point out there which is which is so special i feel is testing that which you don't know right? Like it wasn't about building a database because you know, you can do that. I loved all those, uh, those examples. You know, you can build a network of liquor stores that that people have done that before, but it was testing the part that you don't know. And I think you're so right. that so much. We waste all our time and money and resources in building the website, building the app, building the platform, and not even testing the idea at its root core, which actually doesn't cost any money. And that's what I love about your idea the most that people always say, well, I, I need some investment or I need or I need someone to- That's like, you,
0: dead on. That yeah. is exactly it. Every I am now the master of collecting excuses. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's got some reason I can't do it. Like, And that's a great, I can't raise the money. Yeah. Well, it's because you designed a castle, which takes too much money. Figure out a simple way to try it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it because I don't have a business degree. I don't have a computer science degree. I don't have a technical co-founder. And these are all examples for people starting tech ventures. Yes. But everyone- with their idea Mm -hmm. has an excuse. Yes. And what you have to begin recognizing is "Is this is a legitimate excuse or not. Am I just scared? Absolutely. And it's okay to be scared. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's the nature of, it's risk-taking is not doing something crazy, scary, dangerous. Risk-taking is starting down a path where you can't see around the corner.
1: Mm. You don't, you don't know what's next and not being afraid to reroute along the way. Yeah that's that's the, the fun part of it. Mm. I mean here, so it's not just jumping off a cliff. Yeah. yeah here's
0: another mass talking about cliffs. Let's go the opposite direction. Okay. Let's go up the cliff. Yeah. So I do a lot of I'm a climber. Mm-hmm. I an alpinist for most of my life. Yes. And in rock climbing um and now people climb in the gym, you so maybe people might recognize this. That when it's easy, okay? Two things are in, in place. One is you can see all the way to the top. And the holds are big enough that you can not only climb up, but if you don't like it, you can climb back down, mm-hmm. all right? So then the next level of difficulty is you can still see all the way to the top, see the whole route, but it's so hard now that you can climb up, but you can't climb back down. Right. Now the real scary stuff is when you can't see all the way to the top and it's so hard that if you climb halfway up, you can't climb back down. Mm. But the other piece about rock climbing is that you can't always see all the way to the top from the bottom. So what you have to do is you go up the first four or five holds and, oh, now I think I can see the next four or five. And you go up those and all of a sudden the root reveals itself to you. Yes. That is what taking an idea down a path is like. Mm. It requires that courage to start, even though I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to gather your I'll go on a limb here. You're probably a reasonably adventuresome eater just because of the travel stuff that you yeah, do. Yeah, sure. So you go into a restaurant sometime and you see something on the menu and you go, I have no
1: idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you order it. Yeah, to try it out, yeah, to that's, experiment. If yeah. you have that level of risk-taking,
0: you are fine. Right. Because something comes, what the hell? If you don't like it, you don't eat it. Yeah, right. You know, but occasionally you get amazed. Yeah. And that's what's so wonderful about trying things
1: yeah that's beautiful so well said and where is where on the journey is feedback useful and what feedback is useful because i think (laughs) because i think you know you've you you talked about obviously a wife you talk about this conversation with blockbuster and of course countless more but just this i think a lot of us struggle with people's opinions and how people's opinions hold us back or focus back and i'm not talking about the excuse kind i'm really focusing on feedback and going what type of feedback is useful and, and how do you decipher whether that feedback is useful or not? Whether that's from a potential investor or a customer or a client or whatever it may be. Um,
0: none of it is useful. <laughs> Boy, is that, that's, I, that's too simple a way to say it. Yeah. But what you're hearing is mostly right. Nothing is useful. Or a different way to say it, and especially pertinent since I'm down here in Hollywood, is nobody knows anything. Mm. nobody knows anything and that's the immortal worlds of william goldman famous hollywood screenwriter and ironically wrote 20 movies and won academy awards but is known for those three words from his adventures in the screen trade book but he meant that no one can tell how well a movie is going to do until after it does it it is absolutely true in any new venture no one knows and so anyone who tells you well, I think this, or I think that. They don't know what they're talking about. The only feedback that's valuable is the feedback that comes from trying it and seeing how the real person you want to respond actually responds. Mm. That's the only thing that counts. Investors, no, they don't know. And they also don't necessarily have the same criteria in mind for success that you do. Mm. Your spouse, God bless them. They have the want the best for you, but they don't know either. You just can't tell. No one can tell a good idea from a bad idea. Mm. The only way to do it is to try it. I'm sorry, I know that.
1: No, it's great. The, I, I, I wish but, there was a shortcut. So I guess I guess, looking at it from a different perspective, it's like when a mentor is useful? Like you obviously mm. mentor people and guide and and how do you know a mentor is useful? That's a great question. What type of, yeah, what type of question should and, you be asking? And since mentor? I'm a mentor myself, I guess yeah. I, don't, I don't want to dismiss all of my
0: advice. <laughs> But most of my advice is designed around helping people get started yeah. and when they're starting, how to keep them on the right path of continually getting customer feedback. Yes. And again, I don't want this to be too commercial because this advice is good for anybody who's trying to solve something. Yes. Whatever you think your problem is trying to solve, even if it's a problem of your own, you want to collide that with the reality as soon as you can. And that's the feedback. But yes, having a mentor who understands what you're up against and has confidence in you and that you enjoy spending time with that's the three uh, mm. the, the three critical things interesting i mean i, I now i can't remember at the very beginning of our conversation but um in many ways i am le- i do a lot of work with early stage founders so i'm a mentor or you can call me a, a founder coach um but what's interesting is Most of my job is marriage counseling.
1: Mm, Is that
0: because the real challenges are those. Oh, that's where this came from. We were talking about the beginning about life balance. Yes. How do you do this at the same time, keep yourself healthy and keep yourself sane and maintain your relationships and keep your hobbies alive. And so it's funny. People can be brilliant marketers or brilliant technologists. And the thing they struggle with is that. Wow. And, at least in the tech world where i spend a lot of my time the most stable configuration is two founders Mm. a tech and a business but it's one from mars and one from venus yes and they're spending more time together than they would with their partners Mm -hmm. and you realize that helping them keep that relationship healthy is critical and hard they have to it's incredibly lonely being a ceo because you can't necessarily reveal everything to your employees and you can't necessarily reveal everything to your board who is your boss and so there's really no one who understands that you can talk to mm-hmm. that's another role that a mentor plays so you're kind of gathering not just the role a mentor plays but how much of making a company successful is emotional yeah. and psychological yeah not technical mm-hmm. and accounting
1: yeah i love that answer let's dive a bit into the marriage counseling because i know that my audience is so focused on learning about relationships and I love learning about it too. And I'd love to hear from your perspectives and learn from you as well. What have you seen have been the kind of like the building blocks of making sure that a relationship with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it may be has been able to be maintained through the growth and momentum of a successful company? So one
0: thing I've learned is, um, I can't, Speak for humanity. I I know what's worked for me. Yeah, I'd love to and hear I that. know Let's what's, couch- But again, I just want to make sure that you know that this not it's not a miracle, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not a I'm not a guru in mm-hmm. in this sort of thing. But what works for me is radical honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that radical honesty is the principle that I use with my wife. It's what I use with my kids. But it's what. Reed Hastings and I use with each other. It's what I use with my employees. It's there's, life is way too short to bullshit people. Mm. Um, And more than that, people are smart and they can tell when they're being spun. And there's something incredibly powerful about speaking from the heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And honesty doesn't mean just delivering bad news. Uh, It means delivering good news. It means revealing your vulnerabilities. It means admitting I don't know something. It means saying you're right and I was wrong. I mean it, but it's an incredibly powerful thing, Mm. Um, uh, and I can't I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: (laughs) But again, it's not easy. Yeah, and and in terms of time and energy, do you feel that in the growth of a stages of a company, it's is it impossible? Is it like, literally impossible to spend quality time with your partner, or is there, a, is there any balance? Or, you know, what is the reality of it? I guess
0: it's it's it is difficult. I mean, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, having a startup, having launching Netflix was like having a second family mm. a family who woke up in the middle of the night and cried, um, a family that required you to go away and take care of an emergency, and you also have your real. Uh, family. And I had young kids who were waking up in the middle of the night and crying and were requiring me to Mm -hmm. travel away in emergencies. Um, So it pulls you in all directions. And it's almost like the big rocks model of time allocation. You've got to pick the things that are critical and make sure you carve out the space to fit those in. And at Netflix, in those first few years, even before then, my wife and I had this principle that every Tuesday... 5 p.m. sharp, I would leave the office. And she had a babysitter, and we would have a date night. Yeah. We'd just go downtown, we go for a walk, we'd have a glass of wine, go see a movie. But we'd spend time together, mm-hmm. away from the kids, away from the business. And it was really hard at first to preserve that time yeah. because it's a startup, and everyone's always grabbing you. So in an emergency, emergency meeting, before 5. Yeah, need to talk to you on the way to the car. Yeah. But the magic of it is that once you've defended it successfully for a month or two, everyone realizes it's futile to even ask. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, they all begin going like, well, nothing's going to happen on Tuesdays after five. I can now take some time off on Tuesday after five. Absolutely. And it ends up um, giving them space. But perhaps the most important thing is it models for everybody what, the culture really is. Mm-hmm. It models what the priorities are. Absolutely. If the CEO of the company can do this, well, then I—I I guess I can. I can too. Yeah. Sure. And culture is not what you say. Yeah. It's what you do. Yeah. So that's we can talk all we want about how we believe in family and balance, <laughs> um, but then no one ever takes vacations, and everyone is there until midnight every night. That—that's yeah. saying one thing and doing another which besides not modeling the behavior also says that you are insincere. uh, Yeah. Liar. So, you know, the, um, probably the most important lesson that I've learned from 40 years of being an entrepreneur is, and this is going to sound strange, but I am not that special. Um, I've really come to realize that so much of what I've done are things that anybody could do that. These things, which I, try and beat into people are not rocket science. They're not things that take a great education. You don't even need to be that smart. It's an attitude. It's being willing to start. It's being willing to take a risk. And those are things that anybody can do. Hmm. And I've just realized almost everyone I speak to, they're smarter than I am. They're hardworking, more hardworking than I am. Um, They're better prepared than I am. Um, And they just need to get going. Um, And if I can let people know they can do this, then I will really have uh, accomplished something in my life.
1: That's beautiful, Mark. And thank you so much for placing such a strong emphasis on life as opposed to just business and as opposed to just investments and mentorship and entrepreneurship, but really putting that emphasis on relationships and love and connection and service. So thank you so much for doing that. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And I I think I love that about setting and preserving these rituals. That's kind Mm. of what it is. It's like, it's not I think when we leave it open like oh yeah we'll try and find some time this week to spend time together you never do yes. right it's almost like it needs to be the structure lets you be spontaneous i feel like i feel like if you just leave it to spontaneity then you'll never find any structure but when you start with structure you can find spontaneity so maybe one day you went for a walk or no. you went for a dinner or you went for a movie and totally you can do whatever true. it was but setting that structure is so helpful and useful
0: I really agree yeah. I mean and you know it and having rhythm to life, yes, a light, rhythm, yes, rhythm helps as well. I mean, I know that you have you have this nice rhythm set up, so you know, okay, Mondays I'm I'm busy, yes, but yeah. other days you can t- grab time for other things. I mean, yeah. it's a it's just a matter of figuring out how to make your life work with your work.
1: Yes, absolutely. No, I love that. Great advice. And, and then again, what you mentioned, the second partnership, which is usually this co-founder partnership and you and Reed Hastings used to commute to work together. Yeah. Right. Tell us about that. Cause that's fascinating. Is, is that pretty common in, in the startup world of co-founders? No. Commuting to work together? Yeah. And <laughs> It's cool. I love it. I think it's great. It, it is. I mean, and it, it, one little
0: piece of it is that so much of a startup is luck. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things about the Netflix story, which were luck. Mm. The DVD player actually being widely adopted was luck. The fact that Blockbuster said no was luck. I mean, you can, uh, you know, I'm here because I did a bunch of things right, but I also had a huge amount of things break my way. Mm -hmm. But one of the lucky breaks was that Reed Hastings company bought a company that I had helped start. Um, and that was luck, but then the real luck was that he ended up happened to coincidentally live in the same town as I did, mm. um, and that we began carpooling back and forth, and so we became friends, um, in this weird way that would probably not have happened organically. Mm. And then the other lucky thing is this company that Reed was running that what my company, it was again acquired by someone else, and we were both being fired, so there was another wow. lucky break. So a lot of things conspired to all of a sudden have Reed and I together on a 40 minute, uh, to 40 hour commute, um, knowing that in six months or so we'd both be out of jobs. Wow! And that began the process of saying "Well, Reed was saying, I'm going to go back to, uh, back to school, uh, get my higher degree in education and change the world. And me saying, I'm going to go start another company. Um, And then him saying, I kind of want to keep my hands in this whole entrepreneurial thing. Mm. So how about this? I will be your angel investor. And we decided to come up with an idea together and that I would, he'd fund it, I would run it and away we'd go. (laughs) And that began these crazy car rides um, over the hill, as we call it, going over the mountains uh, every day from Santa Cruz to Sunnyvale, brainstorming ideas, brainstorming Ideas about pain we'd had, about ideas we'd come up with. Um, and going back to that amazing life of an idea, most of the ideas we came up with were terrible.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, this is not like we're going, gosh, we've got to think of an idea about movies because we're both passionate about movies. We were throwing all kinds of crap at the wall. I mean, one of the things Netflix almost was, was uh, personalized baseball bats like made on a computer-driven milling machine. right, yeah, right, right. Like just to your exact specifications, Jay. Um, another uh, was customized shampoo. Like you send mail in a lock of your hair, and we'd formulate it just for you. But I then go into my little office and research them all day, and then the drive back, I would tell Reed what I learned. And little by little, um, went through hundreds of ideas. And even one of them... Um, was let's do video rental. Let's try video rental by mail Mm. because video rental, big category. And I had previously in my career done a lot of um, mail order stuff and direct mail. Uh, Again, stuff you knew. Stuff I knew. Then I'd seen the problems Mm -hmm. and both of us had seen the problems with video rental. Who hadn't? Um, But back then- Video came on those VHS cassettes. Yes,
1: I remember. Yeah.
0: You know, you put, um, your age, you probably watched Lion King about 6,000 yes, times. Yes, I know, yes, yes, yes. On your VHS cassette. Um, but uh, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Like too heavy, too expensive, too fragile. And so that idea got abandoned. And then on to the next crazy idea. Mm. And that's where the DVD came in. Because yeah. on one of these rides, Reed mentioned that this new technology, DVD, and you go, wow, what is it? Like, well, it's this little disc the size of a music CD. And we're going, huh, thin and light. It's cheap, yeah. Cheap, this this might change some things. But then that's where it comes down to, don't think, act. Yeah. So rather than this big debate about who can we ask whether mailing a DVD is too fragile? And who can we? Let's build a business plan and let's imagine how we're going to build the website. We went, screw it. Let's just take the first step and see if you can actually mail one of these things to yourself, mm. which is when we turned the car around and drove back to Santa Cruz and went to Logos Record and Tape, used music store, and bought a Patsy Klein music CD. And then two doors down to the stationery shop, and bought the little pink gift envelope that you put a greeting card in and CD in the envelope and address to Reed's house in Santa Cruz and pop it in the slot and go to work. (laughs) And then 24 hours later, Reed shows up, doesn't even say a word, just holds up the little CD unbroken that got to his house for 29 cents. And we went, there might be some merit to this video by mail after all.
1: Wow. <laughs> so so you see that in, in all the examples you're sharing with me, we know that the more we experiment, the more we fail, right? It's the more we experiment, the more you're going to fail because the more mistakes you're going to make, the more you're going to have to pivot, the more you're going to have to figure things out. How have you and Reed consistently gone through failure after failure after failure? And, and how, when was there a time when you were failing where you just felt like this is not going to happen? Like this is not working. And how did you get through that one? So, um, Every failure
0: is a learning. And people go, tell me your biggest failure. And I feel like a fool because I sit there, I go, I can't, I can't think. Because of, you were learning. But I, yeah, I don't frame it that way. <clears throat> what's your biggest lesson? I There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got a million of those. Yeah, what's your biggest lesson? so many of my ideas were terrible. Yeah. Um Biggest lesson, okay, it's the power of focus and the courage of walking away from today in exchange for tomorrow. Mm. Uh, And that sounds so simple Mm. and boy, it's hard. And when we launched Netflix, it sold DVDs and it rented DVDs. And about um, two months in, we were crushing it, million $100,000 in that first month, all selling DVDs. And that was a disaster because we knew Amazon was going to come in, and that was not sustainable. And we did this for months and months and kept couldn't get rental to work. And then finally realized that doing the sales is not is paying the bills, but ironically, it's making it harder to get rental to work because it's confusing for customers. We're spending all of our time on sales and not focusing on rental. So there you come down to the realization if you're going to do something, pick one thing Mm. and do everything you've got on it. Mm. But then comes the courage, which is what? Do you focus on the sales, which is paying the bills, but it's eventually going to go out of business? Mm. Or do you bet it all on this unproven Technology it was renting DVDs by the mail, which was showing no signs. So we, in one day, pulled the plug, wow. walked away from selling DVDs entirely. Right. 99% of our revenue turned off like a light switch. But it focused the mind on how to make rental work. Yeah. And this scale's large, that everyone has this problem where they're doing something that's working, and they know that's not the future. That's yes. not what people want in the future. Yes. But they're scared to do it. And you can take it at a personal level. You really want to take a swing at doing this. Mm. But God, I have this job and I, it's paying my rent and, and you're trapped. Mm. And that is the most tragic thing I can imagine. Yeah. People feeling trapped. Um, and I'm not naive. I'm not saying, you know, walk Let's pull away. The plug, yeah. Let's pull the plug, but Start. Mm. start dreaming about it will leave you trapped even longer yeah. you have to recognize it's really hard to do two things really really well
1: yeah yeah that's- no I, I, and, and i agree with you i think you know i've had mentors who've, who've said to me before that you know when you're really in pain that's when you'll find your potential and that's when you'll be able to break through and i used to always be like oh yeah that makes sense but i'm proactive like that's not true like you know and then i realized that actually when you felt the plug was being pulled for you or you pulled the plug for yourself, that's when you really dug deep. Yeah. And you almost work harder because now you can't come back to what you had the day before in terms of your example. You're not coming back to, oh yeah, we already know we make X amount of money through this. Right. You've now made it impossible for yourself to rely on something that doesn't have a future. And now you've got to find something. And it's in that point that you're more likely to find something, <laughs> but you don't have a choice. Absolutely. And, right. and I think it's almost like giving yourself no choice whenever that's right for you personally is, is a good way to go because I've found that when I've had no choice, that's often been the time when I've done my best work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it
0: is, it's a courage thing too. It is. I mean, you can wait till desperation, but you can also say, I'm going to just give it a shot. Do yeah. you, know, you know who Ernest Shackleton is? Have you ever heard No, of him? I don't know. Ernest Shackleton, he's, he's kind of my hero. Okay. And he's a polar explorer. Okay. And this is the turn of the, this the turn of the last century. Um, and he wanted to be the first person to, to travel by land over uh, the Antarctic uh, continent. So I will not tell this whole story. It is the most unbelievable story though. But anyway, he has this boat, it's the unsinkable wooden boat, and he's sailing to drop off him and his expedition and they get stuck in the ice. And they go, no big deal. So they all pile off the, they will wait for the spring when it melts. So they all pile off and they have camps on the ice. But of course the ice crushes the boat and the boat sinks. So now they're all sitting on this f- ice flow and it's pretty cushy. They've got to have dog sled races and they got all kinds of food and they have wood from the boat for fires. And he's watching this ice flow as the spring comes, get smaller and smaller. And he's going, well, I can sit here in my comfortable surroundings yeah. until all of a sudden we're all dropped in the ocean. Or I could take advantage of the fact that it's spring yeah. and there's open water and I can put my entire expedition in our three lifeboats. Yeah and see what happens. Mm. And it thus begins one of the most unbelievable stories of uh, adventure and leadership you yeah. could ever uh, ever tell. But it's, I, I've always thought about that. Yeah. This guy who looked around and everyone's comfortable and said, we can't sit and be comfortable. Yeah. It's what happened at Netflix, what happens all over the place. Mm.
1: I love that. Thank you so much, Mark. You're amazing. You're an incredible storyteller. Uh, You're fascinating to talk to. I'm excited for everyone else to read this book. That will never work. I genuinely believe that if you've got a big idea, you've got a small idea, you've got no idea, this book's going to help you navigate the process of getting started and then navigate the process of actually making it happen. And I think those two are so distant, it feels sometimes they feel so far away. But uh, this book will definitely, definitely get you closer. Mark, we end every interview with a final five. So I ask you a final five rapid fire, quick fire questions. So you have to answer each question in one word to one sentence maximum. If I allow you to go on, then you can. And I probably will because you're- No, you don't. So so, so here here are the questions, the final five. Number one, what's your favorite slice of pizza? Start easy. Oh, uh, plain cheese, man. Nice. Yeah. Question number two, the best trail you've ever hiked. Or oh, your favorite hike of all time? Because I know you uh, love being in the outdoors.
0: It's the, uh, uh, oh crap. It's the, the one along the coast of, of Italy, the, the Cinque Terre.
1: Okay, wonderful. It's
0: a small trail. Why that one? It's a small trail that can, these five towns, which are only accessible by fishing boat. Oh, wow. they really old towns. And they've built this network of trails that connects the five towns that run right along the ocean.
1: Amazing. Oh, spectacular love that okay awesome question number three one company you wish you started
0: Ooh. Ooh. Um,
1: uh, am i allowed to hit a buzzer and pass uh yeah, yeah. no I, I, I guess another way of rephrasing it is a problem you wish you would have solved like, oh. was there a problem that you tried to solve but then you've seen someone else actually solve it really well if there is, if there isn't, then you can pass no, and I'll, do it, it, I'll choose
0: another one. What does it say about me that I can't immediately jump to a one word
1: answer about no, that? No, that's okay. Because of
0: course there's hundreds of things where I go, oh my God, that was so clever. I wish I'd done that. Yeah. I can't think That's of okay. One.
1: That's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll substitute that for another one. So your question number three is oh, tell crap. us about the Canada principle. uh uh-huh. Yeah. One in, word. In more than one sentence. Yeah. You can answer um, one sentence. Uh, sometimes it seems that you can
0: easily get a 10% lift, for example, as we could have by expanding to Canada. But it's always harder than you think. And that if you take that same 10% of time or effort or attention and focus it on your core problem, you'll reap much bigger rewards. Mm. Another way of saying it, beware of low-hanging fruit because it rarely is.
1: Mm. Nice, wonderful, great piece of advice, awesome. Question number four, your favorite... Show to binge watch, or your favorite TV show? Uh, made everyone else. have so much access to. TV almost shows. done with sex education. Okay. Oh my god, that is hysterical oh, and fantastic. fantastic. Oh, awesome! Yeah, no, I was thinking one of the one of the problems. I'm I'm just going off on a tangent here. I think one of the problems that I was thinking when you were talking about the paint can, what 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 I was thinking about was struggling to find what to watch at night. Oh. Like the ima- that is that is literally the problem I think of all day long. I'm literally, Me and my wife could sit down and we could spend an hour trying to figure out what to watch, especially when it's two of us. I can figure out what to watch when I'm on my own. It's two of us. And then you don't watch anything because it's too late. Why is that so hard? What
0: someone out, one of your listeners has to like- uh, Totally. Go fix that. Yeah. But here's another principle, which uh, is, a, is that if something seems obvious, there's something you don't know.
1: Right. So go on, tell and us
0: more. That it's just that um, if it's something, what you have to do before you have this great idea and you go, it seems like there should be an obvious solution, there's something you're missing. Right. So what you've got to do is do the research and say, who has tried this? Yes. What is the unknown barrier that I just don't see? Yes. Otherwise you end up just repeating the same mistakes someone else has made before.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So someone out there, please go and solve this. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, and please. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah, exactly. I wrote t- to Mark about it. By tomorrow, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And the fifth and final question is what is one habit you're most proud of breaking? Most proud of breaking. A, of breaking? Yeah. Any habits that you've broken in your life that you think were good, well, habits, uh, mental, physical. Sure. A, a recent one is uh, the cell phone
0: um, addiction. Okay. Tell us about that. I mean, no, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's such an obvious one, but everyone is afflicted with it. And now it's almost like being a, a non, an ex smoker, which I was never a smoker, mm-hmm. but now you see people and you go, oh my God, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. The constant pulling it out this uh, uh, habitually. yeah. And it's just taken me the sense of saying, leave it in your pocket, okay. leave it. And I finally actually got to the point where now I no longer have that urge to grab for the phone at every time I have a spare moment. And it's, it's partly this wonder. Wonderfulness, the, this wonder of stopping and taking it in. I mean, it's a medit- it's a standing meditation
1: yeah.
0: when you're in line, or when the plane lands and everyone goes in their phone. No, just look around. I mean, it's such a, it's a cool, it's a cool replacement. Yeah, I'm really, really digging it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, um, this was unfortunately not too long ago. But I was flying someplace and I was flying first class. Um, and something was wrong. You know, I don't know, something with the seat or I didn't get my first choice of meal or the little wet little towel was too dry or something so stupid. And I remember I was complaining to my wife and I had this this revelation, like you stupid bastard, how how dare you? How could you possibly... complaining about something like that Mm. and it was this moment where i realized i am so unbelievably lucky i have to appreciate everything about how unbelievably fortunate um, that i've been that i've had this idea that actually turned into a real real company Mm. that i've had the chance to spend time with my wife and my family and have all these things happen i do not deserve anything else Um, Especially not to be complaining about that. So I think (laughs) I take back my stupid answer about the cell phones. That is not the most important habit. The most important habit I broke was pity um, and recognizing how... Lucky I am. Well,
1: thank you so much, Mark, for doing the final five. Thank you for being on On Purpose. (laughs) It's been awesome talking to you. And everyone who's been listening or watching back at home, you can get the book, That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea by Mark Randolph. I highly recommend going out and picking up the book and diving into the story of the place that's giving us all the stories that we consume. I mean, to figure out the fact that there are literally how many people in the world now? Like 150 million subscribers. 150 million. Million subscribers in the world, all of us consuming off this platform to figure out how it was actually birthed, what happened behind it, and really what happened behind the scenes. Go and check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you have subscribed if you haven't already. And please, please, please go and follow Mark Randolph. Mark, where can they find you if they want to follow more of your work and hear your insights? They can find me at markrandolph.com or at uh, mbrandolph perfect awesome please 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 go check out mark and thank you so much for watching and make sure what i'd love for you to do with this episode genuinely there were so many moments where there were so many subtle points tips and hints that i'd love for you to find those and share them on instagram and twitter as well i love noticing what you're learning from these sessions and make sure you tag in me and mark as well so that we can respond and see what you've taken away thank you so much for listening and watching mark thank you as well jay what a pleasure thanks for your time (laughs) thank you so much